And as they're heading out, I can't encourage you again more. Uh, take advantage of these summer fellowships when we have an co- opportunity every other Sunday to uh, just spend some time hanging out after church and uh, enjoying uh, fellowship time. Uh, that's a great opportunity for us to encourage each other. Because uh, all week long we are, uh, it's funny how social media makes us less interact with each other than what we should, and there's nothing like a face-to-face conversation. And so I'd encourage you guys to take advantage of that, get to know the people here. Uh, I've, have I gotten to know the church? I've really enjoyed getting to know most of them, as I like to say, and uh, I hope that uh, you will enjoy that as well. So let me pray, and uh, we'll get into the Word. Dearly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, that it is true and that it is alive and is active and it does its work. And so, dearly Father, now be with us. Help us. There's so many things in your word that as we dig into it, we, you, through your spirit, reveal to us. And so, dearly Father, reveal each one that is here that is a follower of you, that next step of obedience that you're calling them to. So, dearly Father, help us. We desperately need it. We cannot do this on our own. The arm of flesh will fail. But your arm does not grow weak, nor is it short. And so, dearly Father, may we lean on that, because all other ground is sinking sand. In your name we pray. Amen. When you think of the word rest, the word rest is used many ways in the American culture. Uh, We go on vacations, and when you go on vacation, you're supposed to do the two R's, not the three R's of education. The two R's of vacation is rest and relaxation. Yet, sadly, most of us, when we come back from our vacations, are more tired than when we left, because you're on your vacation, and you're like, we came all this way, we need to do stuff, and so you're off running around doing stuff and not really resting or relaxing. As you're driving down the road, you will see signs that say, rest stop ahead, but there's very little resting done if you're traveling with the Yorgies. It is get in and get out as quickly as you can. We are not spending any more time at this rest stop than we need to, and there's nothing restful about it, other than, I guess, paying for food that is overpriced. And then we finally get to our last day of life, and on many tombstones you will see the RIP standing for rest in peace, and we wonder, is there even rest this side of heaven or not, is the question in front of us. Some of us live our lives to the anthem that daylight is burning, so let's move, right? we got to get going, all right? The sun is up, you should be up, and you should be functioning. And those people like that, then they look at other people that are trying to say, I'm just going to take a rest for a moment, and the people that daylight is burning, the way they look at people resting is just, you're just a bunch of lazy people, get back to work, right? Get moving again. And so even when it comes to rest, you go, well, how much is too much rest? How much is too little rest? And... The issue goes on and on and on. Again, I'm going to encourage you this fall, we're going to look at a lot of different topics that we will not be able to look too deeply into the sermons, but we'll look at them this fall. And one of them is going to be this whole idea of of the Sabbath and everything else going on that is there. And I really encourage you to be part of that and that we get to dig deeper into it. But when we come to our text here, let me read it and then we'll talk a little bit about things before we get into the heart of the sermon. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all of his work that he has done in creation. 
Now, most of us, if you, if you know your Bible pretty well, immediately you want to run to the Sabbath day and everything else that's going on on the Sabbath day. But really, the Sabbath day does not even come into play until Exodus chapter 20, where God is giving the Ten Commandments, a time where he will tell the Israelite people, you will worship me on the seventh day, and he gives them the reason why. But remember, that was Exodus 20. This is Moses. And so before that, we have all of the believers before even Abraham. Then we got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their descendants until we get to Mount Sinai, that there is no command of when to worship God. They're just worshiping God. And then he sets aside that seventh day in the Ten Commandments. And so what I want to do is I want to look at this day here because if we don't understand this part, we're not going to get Exodus chapter 20 because this is something that I really think we need to dig into. And so you may see it, you may see me calling it the Sabbath day, but it doesn't really get its name the Sabbath day until Exodus 20, but the word Sabbath means rest. Literally, Sabbath is the rest day, all right? And so we have to dig into what does this actually mean in the context of Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, because remember, all of this is happening pre-fall, all right? So sin is not impacting why this call or why anything that is happening here on day 7. So there's things we need to learn about this, and so let's dig in here. Let's look at verse 1. Notice there's a summary statement, thus... The heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Point number one is we're going to see that God finished His creative work. So there's some facts here that we need to get through our American culturally impacted, warped mind of thinking through this. So here we go. Nothing more needs to be done in creation. God finished it. When God finishes it, it's not as if it's okay. Things need to be added on by human beings. When God finishes it, nothing more needs to be done. To help you out, nothing means literally no thing. All right? Nothing needs to be done. So what we don't have in the Bible is a long, drawn-out creation event that God gets moving, and now we need the course of evolution and everything else to finish off what God set into place. When God says it is finished... Nothing more needs to be done. What we see here clearly is the Bible's proclaiming that in six days God created the world, and on the seventh day He did not create. Because the reason why He did not create, because everything that needed to be created is done. Everything that God had created now is doing what it has been created to do. Plants are producing after their own kind. Animals are filling and swarming the sea and the land, and everything is moving the way God has created to be done in perfect obedience to its creator. Creation is functioning at just the way God created it. There is nothing more that needs to be done. And you might go say, it feels like you're pounding that through us. I want you to think through this because there's going to be other times in Scripture where things are finished that we need to talk about as well. Because remember, our, if you want to call it our thesis statement for all of Genesis chapter 1 has been this. Everything God does is perfect and is completely wise and the fittest means to accomplishing everything He has decreed. Every single thing God does is perfect and it is the fittest means to accomplish everything He has decreed. So nothing more needs to be done. But a little spoiler alert, there's going to be something that is made too long from now. You can turn your Bibles here to Genesis chapter 3. I want to talk about the next time something is made. And in Genesis chapter 3 here, and we'll be looking at verse 7 to give you a little context of this, 
mankind, Adam and Eve, have blatantly rebelled against the Creator, doing exactly what He told them not to do. And mankind, when they rebel against their Creator, their eyes are going to be open and they're going to see their own sinfulness. And mankind now is going to try to make something. But I want to see what mankind tries to make in order to atone, or if you want to call it, to cover for their sin. Look at what they do. And in verse 7, Then the eyes of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What a joke of an attempt that is to cover their own sin and their own nakedness. It's interesting, the next time we have recorded in Scripture God making anything, it's found in Genesis chapter 3.21, where it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothing. It's interesting, the next time God creates is He's creating a covering for Adam and Eve because of their sin and wickedness. And this covering was, came about because of a blood sacrifice of an animal, which if you aren't knowing where that's going, <laughs> we're getting to one day when the final ultimate sacrifice will be given. We will talk a whole lot more about this when we go through Genesis chapter 3, but I think it's interesting. God finishes it on day 7. Mankind tries to, <laughs> tries to make stuff, and you just go, that, yeah, sewing leaves together. You know how well that goes, right? All right, and what does God do? He comes in, and he gives them what they need. That all being said, let's go back to our text, Genesis chapter 2. So we see that God finished. It's complete. Nothing more needs to be done. And so we get to this word here that's interesting. In chapter 2, on the seventh day, he finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. This idea of resting is interesting because in our human mindset, we rest because we're tired. All right. So turn your Bibles to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to get the prophet Isaiah describing the character of God. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. I love the rhetorical questions of the Bible. When the Bible asks a rhetorical question, the answer is obvious. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Verse 28 literally says, how do you not, I'm summarizing this in Tim's biblical understanding, but come on people, it's as clear as day in front of you. How do you not get this already? Because what is clear in front of us? What the Bible is going to say, the world screams that God is creator. The Lord is the everlasting God. And what is he? Notice it goes back to he's the creator, not just of some of the earth, but what? Of all of it. And notice this. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Because he is not faint or grow weary, verse 29, he gives power to those who are faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And the reason is not because of what is intrinsically inside of man. It is because God is the one that's giving them the power, because God, by definition, does not grow tired. 
So we have to look at this. If we understand this is the creator God, then how do we take this understanding of creator God and bring it back into this? It wasn't on as if God on day seven went, boy, I am worn out. Uh, this word rest here back in Genesis 1 carries with it not just a break, but actually this word rest carries with it a being satisfied. He is completely satisfied in what he has done. Another word for this word rest would be the idea of revel, to take pleasure in, to delight or to stand in awe of. Um, I was thinking through this in, in our own way, and I was thinking through in my own, in my own life and when I do things like this. So um, when we moved into the place that God gave us a couple of years ago, the front porch, let's just say, was uh, needed a lot of work. All right? It had uh, those nice sags and everything else going on, and by God's grace, uh, Scott and Matt were able to come over multiple times and help me put this porch back together. So then we're done. We finally get the boards in. It's finally stained. And Alice and I would go for a walk. We'd walk by the front of our house and we would look at the porch and go, boy, that looks nice now that it's finally done compared to what it looked like before. Right? We would, in a way, we wouldn't stand in awe of like how great we are, but you would stand in awe of just going, doesn't it look nice that it's finished? That same concept, in a way, is what God is doing here on day seven. He is taking a step back, and in not all of like, wow, look how great I am, it's a satisfied everything that is now needed to be done, has been done. The plan of salvation, I would even argue, is in play here already from the beginning, and he sees it all ready to be done. Creation now screaming out, worship God and God alone. So my question in front of us is, do we actually ever rest in awe of our Creator God? Do you even know how to rest in awe of your Creator God? If you're like that first group of people that never take a break ever, and the only break they think is needed is from going from one job to the next, let's just be honest, we don't rest well. As an American culture, we don't rest well. And when I mean by rest, I'm talking biblical rest. There's a lot of people that do a lot of things that they think are rest, but do we actually ever rest in all of our Creator God? And I want to turn, turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 8, and I think Psalm chapter 8, and we've talked about this before, but I want to, I want to tie some things together here. In Psalm chapter 8, the psalmist, David here, is going to give us what I think is a biblical worldview of how to rest in all of our Creator God. And so we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 9. And I think you have in your notes there some fill-in-the-blanks, and I'm going to throw some more in there for you. So verse 3. When I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. It's interesting here. The psalmist is considering the heavens. That means he has to pause to do what? Consider the heavens. And notice, even when he's considering the heavens, notice he sees the work of your fingers. So considering creation causes him to consider God and God's greatness. So let's follow the flow here. Considering creation, the response of that, if you are in a biblical worldview causes you to consider God's greatness. And notice even in that, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What are the moon and the stars set in place for? 
And now he's going to, remember we, for to mark seasons and all these other things, and notice he goes from considering the heavens to considering God's greatness to considering now a proper understanding of who? Himself. Verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. So he has a Moment of considering, looking at creation around him. Now, he doesn't look at creation and start worshiping creation. What does creation cause him to do? Because we need to be clear on this. Because if we're not careful, we go down the whole New Age world where we go and look at creation to find God. No, creation points us to God. I don't go out for a walk in creation to find God. I go out in a walk in creation because all creation is saying, look who God is. They're pointing to the Creator. And so I don't sit there and I don't hold a tree or I don't hug a tree because all the trees are doing is saying, don't hug me, look at the Savior, look at Him. This is really no different than when, remember when John on the island of Patmos is standing there and an angel, which literally the word angel means messenger of God, comes and starts speaking to John and John bows down to worship and this is the angel goes, whoa, 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 you don't worship me, you worship God. I am just a messenger. What is creation? Just a messenger pointing us to God. But what happens is we are so busy with our lives, we are so busy doing so many other things that mean nothing eternally that we never pause to consider creation, which causes us to consider God's greatness, which causes us to have a better understanding and a proper understanding of self. Let's continue reading on. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet, Yet you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and have crowned him with glory and honor. When we talked about the image bearing of God. And now notice the creation mandate. Again, this is part of this. The creation mandate should be so woven into our minds and our hearts that when we cry out in prayers, literally it comes out. Look at what the psalmist says. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. Immediately that word dominion should cause us to go back to the creation mandate and go, remember, this is something that the Bible talks about all the way through. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep, oxen, and the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, which passes along the paths of the sea. And then, notice again, I'll walk it through. We consider creation, causes us to consider God's greatness, which causes us to have a proper understanding of self, which then causes, in the end, a response and praise to God. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I really believe this is what we are called to do when we are called to consider creation. That flow there, because creation causes you to consider the greatness of God, to stand in all of it, then it gives you a proper understanding of self. And once you understand self, that is why He is the only one to be praised, not you. We don't pat ourselves on the back and say, look how great we are. We discovered something that God created a long time ago. It doesn't matter how small we find something. Guess what? God already knew about it and already put it into place. All we're doing is just pulling back the greatness of God. Now, it's interesting, as we see this day seven, back in our text here in Genesis chapter two, as we see this day seven and the rest that was done, that satisfaction that God has done, and then even our call to this, I want to take a little side note here, a little pause before we get to uh, verse three here. And just interesting, as I was mulling over the idea of rest and standing back in satisfaction of what God has done. If you've ever planted a seed in the ground, for us, the gardening season is starting here in the state of Wisconsin, and if you've ever planted a seed in the ground, it doesn't matter how anxious you are after the seed is in the ground. 
It doesn't matter how much you will it to grow, all right? The seed's going to do what the seed's going to do, when the seed's going to come up. When it's going to germinate, God only knows, right? And we sit there and we watch it. And as we watch it there, it's a reminder of the, there's rest that takes place because you can't do anything more. All right, like the seed's in the ground, the seed's going to do what the seed is going to do. No amount of worry, no amount of work is going to make that seed grow up any faster than when God has ordained that seed to come up. And then, as I was mulling this over, I was out watering our garden, and I came across what I like to call the gardener sanctification plant. And the gardener sanctification plant exposes these issues in your life. It exposes either you're grateful or if you're a complainer. And that heart, that gardener sanctification plant would be the plant called a zucchini plant. Because halfway through this summer, you start going, there's only so much we can do with this zucchini. And it keeps coming. And it keeps coming. And you can literally hear it growing overnight. And then you pull it out and you start complaining, right? And then you go... Uh, one more, and then we'll bring it to church, right? And then all of a sudden, we start passing it out. It's amazing how many zucchini plants get passed out of church because you're like, but we, if we're not careful, what can we immediately do when we go outside and look at that zucchini plant? <sighs> Another, why did I plant so many, right? Instead of seeing God's goodness that he has given you these things, what can we easily do? So quickly turn it. And if Carl hadn't stolen my thunder, I was going to ask you, how's your theology of rain going? Because remember, it wasn't too long ago when there was a bunch of us standing here complaining about one more snowstorm or one more rain. We're ever going to get into the field. Then we finally get into the fields and what do we go? All right, Lord, where's our rain, right? And, and even I was challenged by this and I was thinking about the other day, how many of us, while it was raining last night or yesterday, got on our knees and thanked God for that great gift of rain that we had? Because it wasn't too long ago where we were tempted to do what? Grumble and complain, right? Now even now in my own mind, and I, and I just show you how, how quickly and wicked we are. So it was raining. I go down to check the rain gauge. And I'm like, wow, we got about an inch and a half. Charlie, because of his sin, only got an inch, right? But <laughs> we got an inch and a half. And as I was down looking at the garden, guess what came flying by? Those wonderful birds of Wisconsin and snagged me in the ear and I went oh great all this rain just woke up the mosquitoes right and so now I'm tempted to complain about it and we just see our complaining hearts all the time aren't we that we get rain finally now we're going to complain about the mosquitoes coming and then we have this and that and just a bunch of complainers we are so when it comes to day Seven, when we're going to now talk about what God is going to do on this day and what we can learn from it, I just want to say, look how prone to wander we so quickly are. Or maybe me and the rest of you got it all figured out. Point number three, God blesses this day. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested from all of his work he had done in creation. And another way of saying it, because on that day God was satisfied from all he did on that day of creation. So this day, because God is going to bless it and set it apart, this day is a memorial then to what? The Creator God and His creation. This is a day He is setting apart as a memorial. Just like we do Memorial Day and all these other things, we set it apart to remember God our Creator. God is going to sanctify it. Another way of saying He sanctified, He makes it holy. That's what the word holy means, to set that day apart from other days. So this day he is sanctifying it, setting apart, 
Because on this day, we are to remember God as creator. The blessing on this day is a day because it's a day of completion. Nothing more needed to be done. So let's think through this for a second. Saturday, which is the seventh day of the week, we are to set aside that day and remember God as creator. That God completed his creation on that day. Do we do that? Do we even mull over that idea that God has done his work and it is finished? Then, as the beauty of Scripture, we gather on Sunday to remember the completion of redemption. Because when Christ was on the cross, the last thing he yelled was, it has started, right? The last thing he yelled was what he reminded us of on day seven. It is finished. And finished means, hopefully you understand it, finished. Nothing more needs to be done. It's interesting. We wrestle with this, don't we? Because we are so quick. I mean, it is boom, boom, boom through the weeks, right? And what did God do? He said, Saturday, set this apart to remember that creation is what? Done. It is finished. And what do we gather on Sunday to remember? His resurrection. Because the resurrection was a stamp. Not only is it finished, but it is complete. Nothing more needed to be done. Redemption will be accomplished. Just like one creation here, the decree of salvation will be accomplished. All that he has set into place will happen. And we sit here and we don't pause and reflect. Whenever I think about this own wrestle in our hearts, there's, that, there's a chorus in that line, and I've mentioned this before, but it's a, it's a great reminder because I know the guys who wrote this were not thinking biblically at this time, but still, you know, by God's common grace, sometimes they write things that still make sense. In that group, we can call them a group of theologians, the group Alabama, when they wrote that song, I'm in a hurry to get things done. We rush and rush until life's no fun, right? All we really got to do is live and die, but they're in a hurry and what? They have no idea why, right? But most of us live our lives that way. What are you rushing off to? And what does God give us a pattern of? Saturday, remember him as creator. Now we're going to see on Sunday, remember him as what? Redeemer and savior. But do we do this? Because guess what happens? Every single week, what do we have? A Saturday. And we have a Sunday. But it's easy for us to gather on Sunday and remember God as savior because that's great, but then all of a sudden, I would, ar- I would argue, isn't it interesting, as a society, even as Christians, we have stopped remembering God as creator to our own peril, because then who is creator? Me. Where do you think a society gets the idea that self-autonomy, by the way, what self-autonomy is, you are the keeper and the master and the ruler of your own castle, and what is your own castle? You. So you determine your own truth, you determine all these other things. What will destroy that at its very root? God, the creator. You did not create yourself. That's why you are now responsible to the one who created you. And so what happens is we like to get into all of these theological arguments about all of these things that don't matter is what has happened. They've rejected their creator. That God is the creator. Because if he is the creator, then he is then the ruler and the governor of all things after. So when mankind likes to say we don't like God as creator, there has to be someone who has stepped into his place. 
And that sadly, that someone is now man who makes its own decisions. Back when good old Frederick Nietzsche wrongfully claimed that God is dead, there are many that said, if God is dead, then someone will take its place. And what has taken its place is the drive for power or the drive for entertainment. And literally, we see that playing out. We see in front of us either the Hitlers and the Stalins of this world, the drive for power, and then you have the entertainers, the Hugh Hetners, and everything else that are trying to entertain us to death, or the ones who are trying to say what matters most is power. And I would argue the reason why we go down those paths is because we do not take this day, Saturday, to ever pause and reflect that we are created beings and God is a sovereign creator of all things because what we love to do is pat ourselves on the back and say, look how great we are. Look what my hands have accomplished. It's interesting, and we'll deal with this even more, when Adam and Eve, what they try to do is sew together fig leaves. Think about that for a moment. Fall has happened, the sin has been cursed, these fig leaves they are trying to sew together, that means they have ripped them off a plant, and what do we know is going to happen to these fig leaves? They're going to dry and wither real quick, and their sowing of them is going to fail. But yet, sadly, most of us think that we can, that we can somehow atone for our sins on the way to heaven be doing the fig leaf sowing. And so the question in front of each one of us is this, first of all, have you ever acknowledged God as your Creator? Because if you have not, you are not submitting to Him as Savior. If somehow you think that somehow you are going to get to heaven, or you are going to be good enough on your own strength, you will not succeed. We'll deal with how that's going to happen later. But before the fall here, I want us to pause. Before God commands the Israelites to set this day aside as a day of focusing on me, why does he even tell them to set aside to focus on me? Because it's remembering God as their creator. And we see the resurrection as God as our Savior. So, last Saturday, which was yesterday, you probably, my goal is that's the last Saturday you ever don't think about God as creator. So I would encourage you, which is, even it's ironic in our, let's say, Weekend warrior culture, what do most of us do on Saturday anyway? Get outside. But before we even get outside, do we ever pause and thank God for the sheer fact that we have an ability to see him all around us? Now, each one of you will do that differently in your own lives. Whether it's spending time as a family praying, thanking God for this, whether it's you're walking by places and you say, praise the Lord, look at these things all around us. But I would encourage you, don't let these days go by because literally God is giving us a pattern on day seven on Saturday to pause and to remember him as creator because even when we were going through our catechisms with the kids and truth seekers, one of the number one things we needed to tell them and remind them is God is creator. And then we will gather on Sundays to remember him as Savior. So, as we wrestle through these things, as we see that our hearts are so prone to wander, as we see that we can get so caught up with the here and now that we never pause, we never consider, we never stand back in all of Creator God. That is why in a moment here we're going to close with a song.
And the song we're going to close is talking about how God needs to have his own way with us because we know our own sinful hearts are going to go our own way and we need God to say, Lord, have your way with me. And so here's what I would encourage you to do. You know that Saturday is coming. What are you going to do this Saturday as a follower of God to help you focus on him as creator? What are you going to do even all week as you see things? It's interesting, this last week as a family, we were able to go up to um, Peninsula State Park up in Door County there. And um, you're reading all of these, whatever those placards are that are all around. And it's interesting how they're talking about how a group of people saw this Peninsula Park area. And they're like, we need to preserve this for future generations, right? And so when you're there, you're going, we need to preserve this. So that way other people would see this and do what? Well, I'm glad someone preserved this, or are we to see this and give glory to who? God for the beauty that there's here. Because if not, you're just preserving beauty for beauty's sake, and God does not get the glory. And as we were walking around seeing the beauty of that whole world up there, my prayer is that my kids don't just see that and go, wow, Wisconsin's pretty cool, all right? That they see that and say, we serve a wonderful Savior, wonderful Creator who is our Savior as well. Let's pray. Dearly Father, thank you that you are not only our Savior, that you're a creator, the one who gives us life, breath, and in everything. As we're about ready to sing this prayer, may this prayer echo, not just today, but in our lives, that we need you and that you need to direct us. Help us now, we pray. In your son's name we pray. Amen. You could stand